Prime members, you can listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Tonight on this special edition of 60 Minutes Presents, Grammy Night. We look back at the time we spent with Beyonce. You have a really sort of clean-cut, wholesome reputation, and then out there on the stage, you're a seductress. Okay, thanks. (laughs) <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> you have my heart in your then we turn to her competitor for tonight's record of the year and best pop solo honors, Adele. Did you ever feel pressure to, well, I got to look a certain way? No, I, have never. To... I don't want to be some skinny mini with my <laughs> out. I really don't want to do it. <laughs> um, and I don't want people confusing what it is that I'm about. Also on Grammy night, Bruno Mars. He'll perform later, but you'll get to know him again here on 60 Minutes Presents. Guess who's back again? Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Good evening. I'm Steve Croft. Welcome to 60 Minutes Presents. Tonight's biggest Grammy Awards, those for album, song, and record of the year, look to be a showdown between two of music's most talented women, Adele and Beyonce. We've spent time with both of them in the past, Beyonce in 2010, Adele in 2012, and they showed us that their approach to success is vastly different. But they also have a lot more in common than just their first-name-only identities as pop singers. Already multiple Grammy Award winners, already among the world's biggest concert draws, they're also two of the biggest success stories of the last year. Beyonce with her acclaimed album Lemonade, and Adele with her latest album, 25, the best-selling album of 2016 and 2015. We found that there is a lot to admire about both of these women. 
especially when you hear them sing. First, an excerpt from our story with Beyonce. She's a polished product that's been years in the making. A fiercely talented performer with a million kilowatts of energy. And a role model who has been strong enough to strut around all the usual pitfalls of fame. I am definitely someone that analyzes everything. And I made the decision at a very young age to not do certain things. No drugs, no eating disorders, no bad relationships, no breakdowns due to overwhelming pressure. It takes a certain amount of discipline, I guess. It takes discipline and it takes focus. And I think I'm very fortunate that I've had a gradual success. It's not something that happened in one day. It's something that I've worked at and worked at. With her best friend Kelly Rowland and two other pals from Houston, they began winning talent contests. And by the time they were 16, the quartet had morphed into Destiny's Child, one of the most successful pop groups of the 90s. Homeschooled, underaged, and traveling with her parents on the road, Beyonce skipped the boys and the after parties and passed the time on the tour bus with the other girls reading the Bible. Lord God, we thank you for this day. There's still a prayer before every show, but since Beyonce began her own solo career, a lot of things have changed. And that shy girl from Houston, who was a late bloomer in terms of her own sexuality, has obviously been a quick study. Parts of her show would make a preacher blush. You have a really sort of clean-cut, wholesome reputation, and then out there on the stage... You're a seductress. Okay, thanks. (laughs) I'll take that. (laughs) You're seducing the audience. Really, I don't think about it too much. I'm just free. And I can express my sensuality. I can express my pain, um, vulnerability, my strength, all of those things. Where did you learn all that stuff? Well, just because I had a sheltered upbringing doesn't mean I haven't been a woman. I'm a woman that has had life experiences. (laughs) And that now brings us to Adele. Anderson Cooper first reported on the British star in 2012, the year she won six Grammys. Adele's music is intensely personal. She sings almost exclusively about love and the men whose love she's lost. She wrote this song, Rolling in the Deep, Heartbroken and Angry, the day after breaking up with her boyfriend. This song became the top-selling single of 2011 and catapulted her to global stardom. Did you ever feel pressure to, well, i got to look a certain way? No, I have to... never. I've never seen magazine covers and seen music videos and been like, I need to look like that if I want to be a success. Never. I don't want to be some skinny mini with my that. I really don't want to do it. <laughs> um, and I don't want people confusing what it is that I'm about. Soul, you you, 
I'm, I'm not shocking. I just stand there and sing, and I don't do stunts or anything. But I think that's one of the, the things that is so remarkable about your success and is that you're kind of the anti-pop star. I mean, you're not... <laughs> no, do you know what I mean? I mean, there, there aren't any gimmicks. It's basically the power of, of your voice and, and, and what you're singing. If I wanted to do all that, I don't think I'd get away with it. I, I just I don't think people would believe me. But in your songs, I think people believe yeah. that you have experienced what you're singing. Yeah. I think that comes through. I'm just writing love songs. I'm not trying to be pop. I'm not trying to be jazz. I'm not trying to be anything. I'm just writing love songs. And everyone loves a love song. Sometimes it lasts in love, but sometimes it hurts instead. Sometimes it lasts in love, but sometimes it hurts instead. Someone Like You has become another Adele anthem, written about that same boyfriend who broke her heart. Never that to feel better about myself really and it was about trying to convince myself that I will, will, will meet someone else and I will be happy. And you have met someone else? Yeah, who is much better than him. <laughs> <laughs> In fact next time I sing someone like you I'm going to be like never mind I found someone <laughs> like you please forget me. <laughs> Network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Bruno Mars is one of the world's biggest music stars, and he's one of the most driven people we've ever seen. He's just 31, and as we first showed you last November, the product of what he calls a school of rock education, a working class life of experiences that have taught him the music business. None of it came easily. He's been broke busted and nearly homeless but tonight he'll be at the center of the music universe when he performs on the grammy awards to show us how he got there bruno mars did something he's never done he shared with laura logan some of the toughest moments of his hawaiian upbringing and gave us the opportunity to witness his extraordinary skills as a songwriter and a producer we begin with bruno mars the entertainer This show in Connecticut was his first public concert of the year. And he used it as a tune-up for the release of his new album and world tour to follow. On every song and every note, from arenas to halftime of the Super Bowl, he and his band, the Hooligans, perform full throttle. His standards are high because the legends of music set them. I just really care about what people see. I want them to know that I'm, I'm working hard for this. The artists I look up to, like, you know, Michael, Prince, James Brown, you watch them and you understand that they're paying attention to the details of their art. And they care so much about what they're wearing, about how they're moving, about how they're making the audience feel. They're not phoning it in. They're going up there to murder anybody that performs after them or performs before them. That's what I've watched my whole life. 
and admired. He is a throwback. You see it in the choreography on stage. And hear it in the songs themselves, descendants of the generations that came before him. When I listen to your songs, mm -hmm. you can hear all those people that you've listened to yeah. over the years. A lot of people are really quick to say, that song sounds like this, or he's trying to sound like this. And I'm always like, you're damn right I am. That's, how, that's why we're all here. You know, we all grew up idolizing another musician. That's how this works. That's how music is created. The musical education of Bruno Mars began in his hometown, Honolulu, Hawaii. He was born Peter Hernandez to a Puerto Rican father and Filipino mother, parents who were professional musicians, performing together in the tourist showrooms of Waikiki Beach. Their act was called The Love Notes. Hey Bruno, are you ready to rock it And when Bruno was four years old, his parents included him in the family business. He played Little Elvis, and it's when he first learned he could steal the show. The Little Elvis routine lasted six years, but the lessons of his parents' Vegas-style Waikiki Entertainment Review have lasted a lifetime. You know, it's like school of rock for me, and it was just this kind of razzle-dazzle lifestyle. That's real showbiz. Yeah, show business, you know? Right? If you wasn't hitting those notes and the audience wasn't uh, freaking out, then you weren't doing it right. By the time he turned 12, his parents divorced and the family band broke up. Money was tight. His four sisters moved in with his mom. He and his brother lived with his dad. On top of this building? On top of this building. Anywhere they could. My dad was just the king of finding these little spots for us to stay that we should never have been staying at. But you were like homeless people. Yeah, no, yeah, for sure. We was in a limousine at once. 1984 limousine. Sleeping in the back of a car on top of buildings and this place. So this is where you lived? Yeah. Paradise Park, a bird zoo where his dad took a job. This was the first time he'd been back here since. Even people who work with him haven't heard this part of his story. Where we were staying at first yeah. didn't have a bathroom. So we'd have to walk across the park to this other spot that had a bathroom. Wow. In the, in, and sometimes in the middle of the night. In the middle of the night. When the park closed, they stayed, moving into this one-room building. Right this here. was your house? It yeah. They lived here for more than two years. Just so people don't think we're crazy, yeah. it did not look like this. It had a roof? It had a roof. It didn't have plants growing inside. It didn't have plants growing inside. I don't know what happened to the roof, but the bed would be right there in the middle. Yeah. And you'd all sleep in one bed? We'd all sleep in one bed. Happy memories? The best. That is kind of amazing. Yeah. And that what you remember about it is not the struggle or the things you didn't have. It's all the things you, you had. Yeah. We had it all, you know. We had each other. 
And it never felt like it was the end of the world. It's all right, we don't got, we don't got electric today. It's all right, it's temporary, and we're going to figure this out. You know, maybe that's why I have this mentality when it comes to the music. Because I know I'm going fig- to figure it out. Just give me some time. So he headed for Los Angeles, where he was quickly signed by Motown Records. Gone was his given name of Peter Hernandez, branding himself Bruno Mars instead. Bruno, his childhood nickname, Mars, shooting for the stars. The name stuck, but the record contract didn't. Motown dropped him. With no hit songs of his own and dead broke, he started over. Writing and producing songs for other artists, with friends Ari Levine and Philip Lawrence. They were starving musicians. Inspired by the hustle just to pay for food, they came up with this song. I wanna be a billionaire, so freaking bad. By all of the it led to another record deal of his own. When I see your His career as a songwriter and performer was finally on track. About that time, though, he was arrested for possession of two and a half grams of cocaine. From the outside, you really seem to keep it together and to be very professional and, you know, very committed. But you nearly threw it all the way. I did something very stupid. I'm in Las Vegas, Laura. I'm 24 years old. I'm, you know, drinking way more than I'm supposed to be drinking. And it was so early in my career. And I always say that I think it had to happen. That was the reality check I needed. And I, I promised myself that, that, you know, you're never going to read about that again. Headlines for hits, not drug busts, have been his narrative ever since, capped by two Super Bowl halftime performances in three years. And three Grammys, including Record of the Year, for his collaboration with producer Mark Ronson, Uptown Funk. It's the biggest hit in a career full of them. How difficult is it to write a song that's great? Uptown Funk took us almost a year to write. There's songs that taken that's taken us two hours to write, and we throw them away. Uptown Funk was in the trash can about ten times. Really? Yeah. Why? Because we made a lot of. You know, you could make a left turn and all of a sudden this song is something terrible, embarrassing almost. But you have this one thing that keeps you going. There's one part of the song that feels so good and it makes you want to keep going. And it makes you want to keep, how would you just try again? Let's try again. Let's try again. He told us the conception of much of his music begins in this California recording studio. This is it, Law. Over the last two years, he's been on lockdown here, trying to answer the challenge created from his run of big hits, especially his last one. This album, it was daunting because coming off of Uptown Funk was like the biggest song I've ever been a part of. And I mean, like, all right, now what are you going to do? This is what he came up with. Guess who's back again? Oh, they don't have 
His new album, 24 Karat Magic. The title song is already another massive hit. He showed us how they built the song from the drums up. That's how it starts. And then? Oh, come on. Come on. <laughs> and then we can put some sparkle on it. Like, put a, put a little magic dust on it. See that? <laughs> Drums and bass is locking, right? Yes. Feel good yet? Yes. And you add the sauce, the secret sauce. You ready? It's easy to see that Bruno Mars loves the only job he's ever wanted. And that he's still driven to get it right. I was built for this, Laura. It's dedicating yourself to your craft. Spending thousands of hours in the studio learning how to write a song, learning how to play different chords, training yourself to sing, you know, to get better and better. Are you there? No, not even close. featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Something unusual happened on the way to the Grammy Awards this past year. An album was nominated from Malawi, a small country in southern Africa not exactly famous for its music. The artists weren't polished pop stars, but prisoners and guards, men and women in a place called Zamba, a maximum security prison so decrepit and overcrowded we heard it referred to as the waiting room of hell. How could such beautiful music come from such misery? We went to Malawi to find out. This is the music that brought us to Malawi, one of the least developed nations on the planet. It's a place of staggering beauty. There's vast mountains, lush forests, and a long, idyllic lake. Drive through the countryside, however, and you quickly see poverty is widespread. In the country is 17 million people. Life is full of hardships. Zamba is Malawi's only maximum security prison, and the music you're hearing comes from behind these walls. Prison was built to hold around 400 inmates. Today, there are 2,400 here. What's so startling when you walk into the prison yard on a Sunday morning is that everywhere you turn, there is music, a cacophony 
of choirs. Many here are hardened criminals, robbers, rapists, murderers. Others are casualties of a legal system that can be chaotic and arbitrary, where court files are routinely lost and most suspects have no legal representation. In a small room off the yard, there's a prison band practicing every day on donated instruments. Those men in green are guards. They play side by side with inmates. Ian Brennan, an American producer who travels the world recording new music in unlikely places, heard about Zamba and three years ago flew to Malawi to check it out. You're taking a gamble because you, you go to places you don't necessarily know what's there. No, right? no, no. We, we have no idea. It's a leap of faith every single time. His was not the only leap of faith. Officer Thomas Benamo took one too. He helped found the prison band eight years ago and wasn't sure what to think the day Ian Brennan showed up. I was quite surprised because I couldn't understand how this guy knew about us and why would he be interested in our prison. It's not every day a white American knocks on the prison door and says he wants to come in. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's not every day. What took you so long? Brennan saw promise in this prison and the possibility of an album. So he set up his microphones and asked anyone interested to write and sing songs about their lives. Men and women, inmates and guards. It was something most had never done before. What were you hoping to find? Well, uh, you know, the thing we look for everywhere, which is, you know, music that resonates with us. This is what moves me, and hopefully it'll move someone else. And when you hear it, you know it. Yeah, you feel it usually. Even if you don't understand the words right away. Yeah, oh, you don't. It's better when you don't understand the words because when you don't understand the words, you have to listen to what somebody means, not what they're saying, and if they mean it. Officer Benamo was reluctant to write and sing about his life, but when he did, Ian Brennan knew his music would be on the album. Just listen to what he came up with one morning when we were there. A softly sung ballad about the sudden death of his wife. You left without saying goodbye, he sings. You left behind the children too. They no longer cry. writes songs and plays as beautifully as someone can. He's reached that level of transcendence where it can't be better um, than it is. It just is. It's something that just hits you. To fully appreciate the music here, you have to see the misery. But when we arrived at Zamba, authorities didn't want us to show what life is like for the prisoners. So much of what we filmed, we had to record secretly without the guards knowing. Inmates in Zamba are fed just one meal a day, 
a small bowl of gruel made out of corn flour. The menu, we're told, rarely changes. On good days, they get a few beans. On bad days, inmates say, there's no food at all. Chikande Selenje sang on the album nominated for a Grammy. He's doing time for burglary. Do you eat meat, chicken, beef? <laughs> You're laughing. That's not good. When was the last time you had meat? 2014, but 25 December. Two and a half years ago, Christmas Day. Yeah. It's not just the lack of food. Zamba is so overcrowded. Prisoners say they only have enough room in their cells to sleep wedged against one another, lying on their sides. Stefano Narenda also sang on the album. So we are not So you silly, but you're sleeping on your side. When you want to turn, you have to do it together. And they're right next to each other. How do you sleep? We just sleep. We have no choice. Stefano is in for robbery, and he's HIV positive, as are around a quarter of Zamba's inmates. They occasionally get visits from an Italian nun, Sister Anna Tomasi, who runs a small charity providing some food and legal aid to prisoners. If you were writing a, a postcard to somebody who had never been to this prison, how would you describe it here? I think it's impossible for somebody outside to get, uh, there are no words which could explain because uh, I think what life is like here. Yes, I think before you came three days ago, if I had written anything, would do you think you could have had a clue? No. Sometimes I, I call it as the waiting room of hell. That's what this prison is like sometimes. Yeah. If it is the waiting room of hell, salvation for Chikande Selenje comes from music. When I'm singing, I feel like I'm in another world. I don't feel like I'm in prison at all. It's only when I stop that I realize, oh, I'm still in prison. When I'm singing, I forget about everything else. When the music stops, that's when you realize you're in prison. When we are singing, the wars are no longer there. But when we stop, the wars return. And then we're back to counting the bricks again. <laughs> Chikande wouldn't have to count the bricks much longer. After five years here, he was about to get released. And when we were there, recorded a new song for Ian Brennan. It's about leaving prison and his fears of life as a free man. Don't call me a criminal, he sings. When I get home, they'll reject me. When something goes missing, they'll accuse me of stealing. It hurts badly when you call me a criminal. In the men's section of this prison, there are rooms where prisoners take classes taught by inmates and guards. There are also two small libraries where they pore over faded books and a rundown computer room. But in the women's section, there is no library, no computers. There is little else but music. Until Ian Brennan came along, the women didn't have their own instruments, and they couldn't understand why he was interested in listening to their singing at all. 
they really were believed that they were not singers or songwriters. I mean, they were pretty adamant about this. And, and just at the moment, I was getting pretty close to feeling like, well, you know, we, we tried. Uh, one person stepped forward and said, I've got a song. And the minute she did that, they literally lined up. Rhoda Matemangambe was one of those women who stepped forward. The song she wrote for the Zamba Prison album is called I Am Alone. What does that mean? I have no parents. I have no husband. And I'm here in prison, so I realize there's no one who can help me. So I ask God to help me. He's the only one who can guide me across this huge river. Rhoda is serving a life sentence here in Zamba. She's in for murder. Do you feel like you're glorifying criminals? No, 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 no. It's humanizing them. We're not glorifying them at all. Right? They've committed crimes. Many of them have learned from their experiences. This is about humanizing individuals. And that's for the benefit not of them. That's for the benefit of the listener. The album Ian Brennan recorded at Zomba did not end up winning the Grammy this past year. And it hasn't turned a profit either. Brennan has paid the musicians, and they have a contract to receive more money if there are future earnings. When he showed up at Zamba with his wife Marilena in May to present the prisoners with some gifts and their Grammy nomination certificate, it was cause enough for celebration. Some of the singers, like Stefano Narenda, still had questions about what a Grammy award really was. Can I ask a little question? Yeah, of course. This trophy, does it have any money inside of it? Or is it just a small prize? It's just a token. There's no money inside the, inside the, the award. <laughs> Being nominated for a Grammy has not changed life for the inmates inside Zamba. Or for guards like Thomas Benamo living just outside the prison walls. But they are still writing music, and in September released a whole new album. It's called I Will Not Stop Singing. Inside this prison, it's the only promise they have the power to keep. I'm Steve Croft. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with a brand new edition of 60 Minutes. If you like 60 Minutes, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money, and maybe more importantly, on your life. 
Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts.